Job needed his friends to sing that song that we just sang to him and with him during this time that, that they're spending with him, didn't he? What an encouraging song to be reminded of God's faithfulness to us. And it's always, almost always us sort of misinterpreting or trying to find answers when there are no answers to be found for what we're experiencing and, and what we're going through. Um, did, did anybody watch the hockey game last night? I, I know that we don't really have a team in the fight anymore if you were an Avalanche fan or a Wild fan like my son is or, or whatever. Um, but at the end of the game last night, it was, it was a, a frenzy down in the, 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 uh, the Panthers' offensive end. They're trying to tie the game. They're in a power play, and, and they just can't get the puck in, and the, the horn blares, and then it's a free-for-all brawl. I mean... Uh, they just start throwing punches at anybody next to them. And, and fans start throwing stuff out on the ice. And, of course, the Panthers are now down three games to one, and their back is really up against the wall. And, and they just, you know, the anger spilled over, the frustration. For, for three entire periods, um, each hockey team was trying to, to uh, enforce their or force their will on the other team and, and one team, as always, had to lose. And uh, the, our title for today is Discussion Turns Into Dispute. That kind of happened last night in the hockey game, so to speak. They had a discussion for three periods, and then it was a big dispute. Um, you know, I don't often start conversations or, or, or debates with the intent of getting carried away by emotions, but... How many of us have been in that place where, where we feel so passionate about something that, that we just, um, a button gets pushed and, and, and the train starts down the track and it just gains momentum and we can't shut it down. Um, that, that seems to be what's happening here. You know, our, our feelings get hurt a bit. We press harder to get our point across or to prove that we are right. I am right here, and you are wrong, and you need to submit to what I'm telling you. Uh, tensions are raised, voices get louder and louder, snide remarks are made. Blood pressure goes up, heart rate increases, and the fight or flight trigger is pulled, and who knows which side it's going to be on. Some of us know which side that's going to be on, because we, we tend to one direction or the other, you know, these conversations that we're studying right now, or maybe a better description would be Job's friends are preaching at him, uh, continue to go in the wrong direction, don't they? I mean, I, I, in preparing for today, I'm like, this is going to sound a whole lot like last week because we're in cycle number two now of Job's friends trying to encourage him in a time where he has lost everything. And I, and I mean everything. And, and I thought maybe what we should have done is we should have taken the whole middle section and I could have just succinct, succinctly said, well, this is their friend, his friend's point of view and this is his point of view. And we could have gone, you know, from the beginning narrative to the end narrative. But I thought, you know, I, I don't want to do that because I think we all need to struggle through the entire conversation that Job's friends uh, are having with him. You know, and there doesn't seem to really be a clear answer to me as to why his friends continue down the road that they're continuing down. 
um, because they just press harder and harder. Maybe it, it was pride. Uh, you know, they already put their fact down that the reason Job is experiencing what he's experiencing is because there's sin in his life. And they're unwilling to bend and admit that maybe that's not the reason. Um, I mean, they are pressing and doubling down. It could also be that Job's friend's own peace of mind is at stake here. And, and what I mean by that is, if Job is not a sinner, if, this is, if completely losing everything hasn't happened to him because of some egregious sin in his life, then it means that I can live righteously and the same thing could happen to me. And I don't want to believe that. So I'm going to stick to my guns here that, Job, there's got to be something in your life. Something that you have screwed up. Because if, if, if that's not right, then there is no protection for any of us against personal, personal suffering. And that can be a scary place to be. Um, if, if obedience doesn't guarantee health and wealth and happiness, then what happened to Job could very well happen to me. Or it could happen to you. Um, and, and even though there was a little in his first speech, Eliphaz has neither patience nor kindness in this second cycle. Um, turn with me, if you would, to Job chapter 15. Uh, if you're just uh, landing with us here today for the first time and you don't know where to find Job, if you just go uh, divide your Bible in half and that will probably open up to the book of Psalms, possibly Proverbs like I just did. Um, if it's Proverbs, go to your left. Uh, and right before Psalm, the book of Psalms, is the book of Job. And also in your worship folder is a for further study that will help you know what to read ahead of time because we're not going through every verse uh, in every chapter so that we can get through this this summer. Uh, and, and the first point this morning, um, and, and I'm being super creative in our points this morning, uh, Eliphaz in full-on attack mode, point number one. He, he comes at Job with accusations of fool, foolishness. He says, he says that Job lacks wisdom, and we saw that last week too. Uh, let's read what he actually says, Job 15, verses 1 through 6. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, Would a wise person answer with empty notions or fill their belly with the hot east wind? Would they argue with useless words, with speeches that have no value, Basically, he's coming against Job saying that, that I'm, I'm living a righteous life. There, there is no sin in my life. But you even undermine piety and hinder devotion to God. Your sin prompts your mouth. You adopt the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, not mine. Your own lips testify against you. Wow. I mean, if I had a friend that said that if, if I'm in the hospital and, and I'm dying and, and I have the strength, I'm going to punch somebody that says that to me. I mean, I, I had an elder, after my mom died, I had an elder call me one time and he said, David, I just wanted to share a verse with you. And it was, it was uh, Psalm 116, verse, I'm, ah, nah, I'm going to mess it up. I don't think it was 116. Anyway, the verse says this. Um, oh, boy. Um, somebody help me. Come on, somebody's got to know what, I'm, what I, what I want to say here. Oh, okay, 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 okay. 
It was verse 16, I know. And the verse is this, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now, he spoke that truth to me at a time when I believe God told him to speak that to me because that became one of my most, even though I just forgot what it was for a brief moment, (laughs) one of the most special verses to me when I think about death. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Because when my mom, who was a saint, she was a believer in Jesus Christ, she was a child of God, when she died, God received her home. And that was precious to him. And, and that gives me comfort. That gave me comfort in my dorm room at the University of Wyoming uh, as I continue to grieve uh, the loss of my mom. But, but his friends are not doing that here. What, what Ross Holloman could have done for me was to call me on the phone and said, David, man, we need to talk about what, what you're doing at the University of Wyoming. What, what sort of sin are you living in that caused God to, you know, give your mom cancer or whatever, whatever he might say? See, we need to learn from this. We, I, I believe God has given us these conversations with Job's friends uh, so that we can learn what not to do. Well, we can learn what not to say and not believe. Empty notions, a belly full of the hot east wind, useless words, worthless speeches, sinful mouth, deceitful tongue, lips that testify against him. I mean, are you kidding me? He just lost all of his children, all of his servants, all of his possessions, and his health. And this is the message you're bringing me. Wow. What a friend. So the age-old tactic, which, which is used a lot in today, today, I might add, especially on social media, if you can't refute your opponent's arguments, attack his words and make them sound like a lot of hot air, which is what his friend is trying to do. You're saying that you're righteous and that you're living righteously, but, but you know what? That just, that's just not true. It can't be. Or, or, or even go further and just lower ourselves to name-calling. Well, you're just an idiot. You're stupid for believing that. You're dumb. You're, you're, not, you're not even thinking in, in reality. Yeah, that's a wise thing to do, Eliphaz. Thomas A. Kempis said this, how rarely we weigh our neighbor in the same balance in which we weigh ourselves. We, we need to have as much grace for other people as we would hope they would have for us when we screw up when we make a mistake, when, when we hurt, when we are suffering. Um, Samuel Johnson, uh, the literary czar of the 18th century England, uh, loved to sit by the hour with his friends and discuss any and all topics. But Johnson always had to win the argument whether he was right or not. I mean, we know people like that, right? Um, The poet and playwright Oliver Goldsmith said this about Johnson. There is no arguing with Johnson, for if his pistol misses fire, he knocks you down with the butt end of it. Eliphaz was doing that. He thought he was so wise that he could tell where Job's words were headed. In other words, if everyone believed what Job believed, that God does not always punish the wicked and reward the godly, even then what motive is there for obeying God? Verse 4, but you even undermine piety and hinder devotion to God. 
Now, I want us to think about that question this morning. What motives do you have for obeying God? What are your motives? What what motivations do you have in your life that cause you to want to be obedient to God? What, What are your motives as you serve and follow and are faithful to Jesus Christ? Now, if we go back to the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel was first created, when God chose Israel as his people, Um, When they were just children in this relationship, their motive for obedience to God was fear and punishment. Uh, They they were just infants, and, and children understand rewards and punishments more than ethics and morality, right? Have you ever tried to rationalize with a four year old or a three year old? No, it doesn't work. What do they respond to? punishment and rewards. I mean, that's a part of training them up in the way that they should go. But when the new generation was just about to enter the promised land, they had many years of relationship with God. And Moses gives them a higher motive for for obedience, their love for God. Their love for God was to be their motivation. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. They weren't children anymore. God didn't need to frighten them or bribe them into obeying him. Love, we're told in the New Testament, is the fulfillment of the law and it is our highest motive for obedience. Uh, Romans 13 verses 8 through 10 say this, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. John 14, 15, Jesus himself said, if you love me, keep my commands. So our desire to be obedient comes from the love that we have for Jesus Christ. You know, all of the Ten Commandments can be divided into two categories. Loving people. And loving God. It is literally that simple. So contrary to the message that Satan was peddling before God the Father in the throne room. And is trying to prove through his destruction of everything that the world considers valuable in Job's life. Genuine faithfulness and obedience to God is not the product of bribery. But love. Love, loyalty, and commitment. Job's friends miss a huge opportunity here to truly love their their friend through this time of suffering that he is experiencing. Eliphaz accuses Job of lacking wisdom. Wow, so encouraging, right? (laughs) Yeah, I know that you just lost somebody in an accident or through a heart attack or or you, you miscarried, but you know what? I mean... You just must be stupid. 
You don't have any wisdom at all. That's why this happened to you. That's what Eliphaz is saying. And sometimes we can come across that way ourselves. I mean, we want to, we want to help. We want to, we want to be a friend for someone. And, and, and we feel like one of the ways in which we can be a friend is to find the answer to why this happened to you. Many times there is no answer. There isn't. And that, that was part of, their, part of their struggle. We get a special look into and behind the curtain of heaven in this situation with Job. And we need to understand that this wasn't an isolated incident, I am sure. God gave us the book of Job so that we could know ourselves that when we go through hard, hard suffering, it's possible that that has nothing to do with sin in our life. That it was, in a way, the will of God that that we, we would experience what we're experiencing. Um, and, and man, Eliphaz, he just, the, the, the resentment seems to be creeping into his attitude. Why are they so adamant about this being sin? Now, it's true. Sin in our lives comes with consequences. God does correct us. He needs to. He does discipline us. And, and as I said last week, personally, each one of us, when we are experiencing something hard, we need to ask that question, God, am, 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 I, am I following you faithfully? Am I, am I, is there something I'm missing here? Um, but, but as people's friends, I'm not sure that's where we should start, and that's exactly where they started. Um, next Uh, He accuses Job's heart of wickedness towards God. I I mean, really? At this point, what hope does Job have when his friends won't even believe what he's saying? Um, Verse 5 says, your sins are telling your mouth what to say. Uh, Eliphaz, in his description of foolishness and wickedness, is obviously describing Job. He he describes pain, darkness, trouble, anguish, and pain. And fear, and I mean that that actually describes a lot of our lives at different times. And we get news that a brother was suddenly killed in a car crash, or um, we get a diagnosis that, that we were hoping wasn't true, but but now we know it is. We were hoping that if we just ignored it and didn't talk about it, that it wouldn't be real. Um, and, and, and then look at, look at Eliphaz's closing words. He levels his largest blow in verses 34 and 35 of chapter 15. For the company of the godless will be barren, and fire will consume the tents of those who love bribes. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. Their womb fashions deceit. In other words, if you are bad, bad things will happen to you. End of story. If you are bad, God will judge you. He will punish you. He he essentially calls Job a hypocrite and a godless man and blames him for all the tragedies that just happened to his family. God continues to hammer home to us through Job's friends. This is not how to walk alongside someone who is experiencing great loss. Um, if you know someone who is experiencing incredible pain and hurt, what, what can you do? Pray is number one. 
be present is, is another. Um, let them know that you're thinking about them, praying for them. Ask them, is, is there something specifically that, that I can help you with, that, that I can do? It would have been fabulous if his friends would have asked that question. I mean, it's a consistent accusation of people that the church is full of hypocrites. Have you ever heard that? Well, I'm not going to that church because they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Have you ever heard that? Have, maybe you said that in your own life at one time. And, and now you see the other side of that. I mean, I think having a conversation with one of our elders the other day about this topic, um, I think there are probably a few legitimate hypocrites in the church. Um, I'm guessing they're probably in other churches, not this one. <laughs> but I think the majority of us are genuinely struggling through the hard things in life while making an effort to love and obey Jesus, okay? Um, there are those who say, uh, you know, um, say a preacher on a Sunday morning gives a uh, a sermon on purity and is having an affair with the secretary behind everybody's back and nobody knows. That's a hypocrite. But when you stub your toe and, and, and you've been wrestling and you've been asking God to help you kick a bad habit, maybe it's bad language, maybe it's swearing or whatever, and you slip up one day, that doesn't make you a hypocrite. That makes you a sinner like all of the rest of us. Okay, I, I saw a video this week, and uh, it, it illustrates this point that I'm trying to make. It, it, it illustrates the church, and, and I think it illustrates how we should see people in and around our lives. So let's take a look at this. Have you ever heard this one? They say, yeah, I'm done with the church. There are just a bunch of hypocrites there. Okay, that's not as smart as you think that sounds. That'd be like me said, went to the gym the other day. Would you believe it? I saw some people there who were totally out of shape. I'm not going to the gym anymore. I mean, that place is all about fitness. And yet people come jiggling in there. Those hypocrites. Or maybe that's why that place exists. Maybe the church exists for hypocrites. Not to sustain it, but so the Lord can change us. I've noticed going, going to the gym, there are some people in there, they are fit, solid. And there are other people that are on the extreme other end of the scale. This is kind of like church. Some people walk in close with the Lord and have been for a long time, and someone else is just rolling in. Who's it for? It's for both. Yeah, right? I just thought that was a great illustration. <laughs> Job is not a hypocrite, but having said that, we should be cautious of blind spots in our own lives uh, because sin is very, very insidious. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, which is your memory verses for this week, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Yes, we need to be aware of sin in our lives, and we need to be obedient to Jesus out of our love for him, because sin does, 
does indeed bring about death in our life. It destroys things. That's what Satan's goal is. That's why Satan wants to convince Job, it seems he's already convinced his friends that, that God, that he only had good things at one time because of what God was given him. And when all of that disappeared, that he would immediately curse God. And he did not do that. Why? Because he was genuine. He was a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. He was righteous in God's own words. A great reminder. Um, He's, Job is not claiming one thing, preaching one thing, and leaving, living a totally different way. In fact, at one point, Job says, you're saying these things, but I would have encouraged you. And, and, and we know from other chapters in the book of Job that Job was that. He was an encourager to many people. He was generous. He, he supported them. He lifted them up, yet his friends are trying to tear him down while he is at the bottom of his entire experience in life and Eliphaz also repeats his claim that God always punishes the foolish always he repeats his claim now maybe you don't need convincing of this maybe you know that that is not true that God doesn't always punish the foolish but I'm guessing that some of us listening today do need to hear this um, we need to understand that God does not in fact always punish the foolish it rains on both the just and the unjust, right? We've heard that before. We see people in our world who are godless, yet they have big homes. They are popular. There's movie stars, professional athletes, rich businessmen, rich businesswomen seem to be happy and satisfied. Nothing going wrong in their life, yet they don't know Jesus Christ and they aren't living for him. They're living for themselves. They're not being punished. My brother down in Fort Collins has a neighbor, and I'd asked him one time if he'd ever witnessed to his neighbor, and he's like, well, you know, I've kind of tried, but, but he's perfectly happy the way that he is. How do I convince him that he has a need in his life for Jesus if he has no needs? Well, I'm not sure that we can. And their wickedness goes unpunished. They just seem like they have all the stuff, right? At least this side of eternity, it is that way. And of course, we know that ultimately this side of eternal life is as close as they will ever get to happiness and goodness until, unless they surrender their life to Jesus. And, and when we see people like that and we talk to people like that and, and we are praying for people like that, that should not make us angry. And I think for some reason it often does because it's like, won't you just listen to me? I have got the cure to your lack of peace and your lack of hope and, and all of the things that seem to be going wrong in your life. I've got the cure for that and you won't even listen to me. And instead of our hearts breaking and our prayers getting more faithful, we get angry. That happens to me. And this has been a good, very good wake-up call. No, I shouldn't be angry. My heart should break because that's what's happening to God's heart. 
Now, the other side of that, the opposite is true as well. And this you're not going to like to hear. The righteous, the faithful, those honestly struggling, struggling to be disciples who are sacrificing and faithful will not always be blessed and receive gifts from God. We won't. Um, this doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. Of course he does. It means it just isn't in his plan for us. And the question then becomes, am I willing to completely and totally surrender my life to whatever it is that God sees fit to put in or allow to happen in my life? Do I trust him that much? And we should. Job does. Now, I'm, I'm starting to see his, his knees quiver a little bit as we read through his friend's constant berating of him. I mean, he's there. It's almost like they're there. Instead of giving him hope in life because his God is so sovereign, they're, they're beating him down. They're trying to get him to give up hope. I want him to stick it out to the end. And we'll see if he does as we continue to go through the book of Job. But God's plan is always the best plan. And, and we always, okay, that's an overgeneralization, maybe. We always think that if there's pain and suffering involved, that it's not a good thing. I, I mean, would, would you agree with that? Except I had a doctor tell me one time, that pain leads to healing. Cutting leads to healing. You know, Stan just had knee surgery. Painful. Replaced it. I don't even know how they do that. But I know Black and Decker is involved. <laughs> yeah. Big hammers. You know, it's no wonder it hurts. You know, they take that rod and they pounded into your lower leg so they but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that in a week or two or a month or however long it takes you to rehab Stan you're going to say why didn't I do that five years ago why didn't I endure this pain today so that there could be healing in the future I don't claim to be God for sure. You know, we, none of us should as we try to help somebody through a, a struggle in their life. But, but what, I, what I do know is that God is as firmly seated on his throne today as he ever has been. And he always will be. He knows what he's doing. He is sovereign, all-powerful, creator of all things. We just need to trust him. Eliphaz was in full attack mode, many things not to do, many things not to do that we learn from him. Many things not to do. And then Job responds. Um, Job spends the next two chapters 
crying out to God. Now, he responds ever so briefly to Eliphaz, uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 6, which, which, and he responds with just kind of the same attitude that Eliphaz just came at him with. And, and obviously, that's not good. And then he turns his eyes to God in verse 7, and he begins pouring himself to God, out to God with honesty, his, his hurt, his pain, his aloneness, his losses, his frustration, his confusion, and ultimately his hopelessness. And we all have friends who are or who have been or who will be in a similar situation as Job. We ourselves will be at one time too. And we need to walk alongside them just as we would want them to walk alongside us. May we consider how we would want people to walk with us if we were in their shoes. And let's walk with them that way. Um, that is why we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word at all times. You know, we're, we're doing the, uh, the armor of God this week in Vacation Bible School. That is applicable to every one of us every day. Especially today, we need this thing right here. We need one of these. I mean, there is so many lies and mistruths and, and good arguments on the other side that are trying to to, to change your mind about who God is and what he says in his word. We need to put on that helmet of salvation that protects us. We need to know God's truth. And Job is hanging on to what he can hang on to as long as he can hang on to it in this situation. Um, and I, I want to leave us I'm, with, uh, with some passages this morning. I actually list them in your notes there. The first one is Psalm 119.97 through 104. says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. It, what does it mean to... Does it mean that, you know, you should have your Bible out at work? And you sort of put it behind your your work or you put it up on your screen and you can quickly switch it when your boss comes that you should read your Bible all day long. I don't, I don't know. Because um, God wants us to, to be good and faithful workers as well and not steal time from our bosses. Meditating on it all day long is, is maybe after you spend some time in the Word first thing in the morning, you, that just sort of bo- mulls through your mind all day long. You know, like you're, you, you, read, you read through whatever, chapter 15 or 16 of, of the book of Job, and then you think about that all day long. Well, what, why? That's meditating it. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I know what they are. I know the truth of your word. I know what your word says. It says that you will never leave me nor forsake me. I can... I can hold on to that and, and, and tackle anything that comes at me and at my mind during the course of a day, knowing that that's the truth, because that's what God's 
word says. I've kept my feet from evil, every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself self have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 and 20. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If, if, if we only want Jesus for today, um, Houston, we've got a problem. Because it's not just for today. It's for all of eternity. We have hope in the future because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits. He is the, he's the first and the only one to raise from the dead. And he is alive today. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. It doesn't say don't grieve. It doesn't say don't be sad. It says in your grief, in your sadness, in your suffering, recognize there's hope because of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We have that hope. And, and may we never let anybody convince us that it's a lie. Because it is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father any other way except in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, a, a young person in our congregation... Yep, she's in the room today. Shared with her grandmother a verse a week and a half ago, and I said that I would mention it last week, and I didn't. But this is, this is what I'm talking about here, okay? This, this is a verse that just came across her Bible app as she was, it was one of those, this is today's verse. Isaiah 43, 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Does that not relate to the book of Job? I mean, that's just God reaffirming that, look, when you go through hard times, I'm there with you. 100%. Unfortunately, sometimes we just don't take the time to see him. And then, in closing, I read this testimony this week. And, uh, you know, we, we, we have our, and, and I saw Scotty here, but I didn't see Garrett. Garrett's not here today, but, um, you know, how long has it been, Scott? Has it been, it's 13 years, right? Um, 13 years this August? Uh, that, that Garrett was in a car crash. Almost died. And, and um, you know, it's, it's been a long haul. It's been a long, exhausting, tiring haul for his parents. Um, it's been hard for him. But man, every time I see him, he puts a smile on my face. You know, even when he yells things in church. Because, <laughs> you know, he has no filter, right? It's just whatever, whatever I think I, I, I say. And, and though sometimes it's a bit raw, he's almost always right. 
in, in what he says. Um, well, uh, uh, a few, about a month before Garrett had his crash, uh, a cousin of mine down in Albin got rolled over by a horse, uh, Tim Malm, and some of you may follow him on Facebook. Um, he was out roping, probably with his dad and his grandpa, and, uh, you know, loved to rope. That was his passion. That was his, one of his daddy's passions. Um, I, I think Tim probably roped at Cheyenne Frontier Days. I know that his dad did. Um, but uh, he was rolled over by the horse. And, um, you know, he's, he's still alive today. That's Tim on the right. He still can't walk on his own. Um, he hopes every day that God's going to heal him and he can do it. And he asks every day or often for people to pray for him. He, I mean, he's got like some deal with cinch and he's got some deal with this now coffee. He's got his own coffee that he's selling and, and, and taking care of. So if you like coffee, check. it's like the official coffee of Cheyenne Frontier Days. Um, um, his sister... Uh, posted on Facebook on the 7th. The accident happened on the 6th. And this is what she says. This is Bethany Self over there with her husband. For the last 12 years, I have always posted on June 6th about the accident that changed our lives on 6-6-2010. But this year, I chose to wait and post something today, 6-7, because it was actually 13 years ago today that we all woke up realizing that what happened was not just a bad dream, it was reality. It was when we realized really realized that Tim wouldn't get released from the hospital after some observation and that our lives were in fact going to be changed. What we didn't know, nor did anyone but God, was that Tim would still be on the road to full restoration for 13 years and still on the road. A few days ago, I heard someone say that God doesn't cause accidents, and it really hit me because I thought, yeah, he does. By definition, an accident is an unfortunate incident that happens unexpectedly and unintentionally, typically resulting in damage or, energy or injury. So what else would you say happened to Tim? So I let go of what the person said and went on with my day. But then began thinking about what he said again. While what happened to, Tim's, to Tim is an accident by the worldly definition, and, and is still unfortunate, it wasn't an accident in God's eyes because it wasn't unexpected. God allowed it to happen for reasons we won't fully know about this side of heaven. But I fully believe there is a reason or reasons for it. One of them to bring glory to God's holy name, and one to bring others to join Christ's family and accept him as their savior. Yes, there are other ways these two things can happen, but for some reason, God chose Tim to go through this suffering, and I may be biased, but he has done an amazing job at accepting this reality for the last 13 years. 
I'm fairly certain I would not be able to deal with it as well as he has for this long. This last year and a half of our family's journey has been one of the tougher ones for me because it was a year where Raylan took her first solo steps and began walking. Yes, I was beyond proud and ecstatic to see her take those first steps unassisted, but it also broke my heart that she was able to do it within one year, and Tim has been fighting and working so hard to do it for 13. Yes, I know it's natural development for babies to learn to walk typically around 12 to 15 months, and some walk sooner and some later, but it was hard for me to see Tim watch Raylan walk. Here was something that a barely 12-month-old could do, and he couldn't. While he was also overjoyed to see her walk around the house, it also hurt him a little that he couldn't. Yes, it's been difficult and unimaginable at times, obviously more so for Tim. We aren't able to do things like we used to do. We have to adjust a lot of things and so on, but it has brought our family closer than ever. We have met some amazing people who are now friends and considered family. Tim has helped spread God's word all over the country and world. Tim has started and grew a business, and it's still growing, and we continue to learn to not take life for granted. Thank you, thank you, Thank you for the love, prayers, support for our family these last 13 years. We love and are thankful for all of you. Please continue to pray big for Tim. I wonder if that isn't something God wants to teach each and every one of us as we go through this book of Job. Though we, in our little tiny minds, Bob, you guys can come up, in our little tiny minds, can't find answers and wonder why God is punishing us, it may be further from the truth. He's just working on something else. He's working to save somebody else. He's, he's, he's got it all. And we can trust him in that. Does that take away the hurt? Does that take away the suffering? No, it does not. But it gives us the hope that we need in the midst of that to continue to hold on to our Creator and our Savior, which is what that family has done. Thank you, Bethany. I actually didn't ask her permission. I figured it's public on Facebook. And so... Um, but in case you hear and you're watching, thank you very much for your very wise words that are real and genuine that have come out of 13 years of, of struggle. Where she can say, my God is my God, and I'm holding on him as much today as I ever have, even though or because of what we have just gone through. Let's worship with this last song and then I'll close in prayer.